I think one of the things with this squad formation that we're talking about is you can actually distribute some of that decision making into the team, right? So you'd say, well, you're the data science expert, you tell me what the answer is on that and I'll leave you alone. We'll give you the budget, we'll give you the tools and we'll unblock things and then we'll get out of the way. So yeah, it's really exciting, but it's also really scary because uh, you've got to keep on your toes and obviously there's a lot of value to deliver, right? So that's the flip side of it is the opportunities there, but you've got to deliver the value that comes with that opportunity as well. I'd like to say a big thank you to our sponsors, Talent Insights. Talent Insights are Australia's leading specialist data recruitment business. With offices in Sydney, Melbourne, and Brisbane, they're experts at providing recruitment strategy and building data teams for clients across industries, Australia-wide. They provide recruitment solutions for all roles across the data lifecycle, including data engineering, data science, advanced analytics, customer and marketing insights, business intelligence, data product managers, and data governance. They're skilled at finding the best permanent and contract hires for your business needs, as well as statement of work, project focus, data resources. At Talent Insights, relationships matter most. I can say from first-hand experience, Talent Insights are fantastic to work with. Whether you're a business leader within an HR network or a specialist data candidate, Talent Insights should be the first company you turn to for all your data recruitment needs. Find them at talentinsights.com.au. Hi, this is Felipe Flores. Welcome to Data Futurology. Today we have a very special guest, Andy Sutton from Endeavor Drinks Group. Andy, how are you going today? Yeah, really good. Thank you. And uh, great to meet you, finally, Felipe. Oh, mate. Great to spend some time together to um, hear about your experiences, your learnings, get to pick your brain. I'm super excited. Uh, mate, can we start on um, your, your role and your remit at the moment and we can take it from there? Yeah, so um, I work for Endeavor um, Endeavor Group, uh, which is probably one of the, the best kept secrets, I guess, in, in Australia in terms of who they are. So most people will recognize our brands, uh, kind of our core consumer brands rather than our master brand. So we operate the Dan Murphy's and BWS brands, our big retail brands, uh, also smaller brands like Jimmy Brings, um, Seller Masters and Langton's are part of the stable. Uh, and then we also operate 300, I think it's 300-ish hotels across um, Australia. We also own a number of vineyards. So we kind of get that balance all the way through from you know, growing grapes through to um, through to pubs and, and hotels and bars. Right, that's excellent. Um, yeah, you would have a, a, a lot of data on me, mate, on between uh, <laughs> Murphy's and BWS. <laughs> yeah, so I should probably touch a little bit more on, then, I guess, what we do with that data. And I guess that's one of the, one, yeah, that's probably one of the core things, right, is retailers have got, a lot of data on not just on the customers but also on their operations yeah so you know the products they stock where those products come from all the product attributes um but my role really is to work with the business or to be the bridge really between the business and the analytics team so we have analytics teams um that we deploy into squads that kind of sit in my world uh, my job then is to work with the business to identify what those priority use cases are that they kind of focus on so we've just done a six month exercise really to to set this function up um but then to work with the various stakeholders from across the business to actually understand where the priority use cases are and focus all our efforts really on those core priority things so rather than try to do everything um, and there were 275 use cases when we started six months ago so we've had to pair those back to the like the top 10 or so um, and then focus on those and try to deliver the value and unlock the value from those use cases and then build and move on to other things over time. Yeah, incredible. And how was how the process of, um, um, if you were in the business while the planning for this for this setup was there, how was that process? And then and then starting kind of like the, the, this, the journey of the last six months? Yeah, so I think it, it's pro probably easier than I thought it would be, right? Now, okay. so I'm, I'm a bit of a... Um, uh, I'm a bit of a worrier anyway, right? So I was kind of expecting this to be really hard work. And I think it, I think the reason we made it easier for ourselves is we, we went right back to basics. So number one, I stepped out of my old role. So I got to focus fully on the strategy, which is, is not really a luxury you normally get. Um, but I also, um, we went back to the, right back to the why. So why did we actually need this function to exist? Um, how was it going to operate and what was it going to do? So we kind of did them in that order, really. So we started with the why. So why, why do you need a data transformation team? Why can you not just execute what you've already got? Why do you need to create a separate function? Why do you need to focus on the priorities? What's the bidding platform? So we did a lot of work to build that up. Um, we then focused on you know, the vision and the mission um, and actually articulating to the business as a group 
what it was that we thought we were here to do and made that a bit more aspirational. So we took it away from being about building fancy models um, to actually being about how we deliver value from the infinite possibilities that exist in the business. Um, we worked with the business to identify the use cases. We also went right back to first principles in terms of how do you prioritize, right? So we spent four hours on a workshop to go, how do you prioritize? Um, and how do you look at the value, um, the complexity versus ease versus the strategic intent or the strategic alignment of initiative? And then came out with an ordered list from top to bottom, more or less. So, you know, you start with 275, you can deduplicate it and kind of caress it really down to about 40. But then you've got to do some serious work to size those initiatives and, and work out where the value is. So we got from those top 40 down to 20 that we thought were really big transformational use cases. And then um, prioritized down to the top, well, top top three plus one. So we've got three we're starting now, one we're starting next year. And then a backlog of however many, the other 15 that we'll tackle as we get there. Um, but I think going back to the why mm. um, and actually understanding what value could be added to the organization, not just to do analytics, but actually to, to embed in the business and add value is, is probably the thing that made it um, easier. I think it also helps that you know, I've been quite fortunate in this role and in my previous role that the exec in our business are, are kind of on board with the analytics and data journey that we're on. Um, they've seen this in previous companies, particularly at Woolworths before we spun off. Um, but also we've been working, we've been doing some kind of data literacy and change literacy and um, kind of, I guess, organizational disruption kind of uh, training with with Harvard, um, which definitely helps change people's you know um, belief systems, I guess. And um, so that's really helped too, is that there's a lot of it, there's a lot of senior sponsorship. Um, we're not just kind of push, I guess, from the middle or the bottom of the organization. We're we're doing it kind of company wide. So that's a very long winded answer, but yeah, it's been six months of hard slog and graft, I think, but across a large number of people to get to that point. And now we're really in that mobilization stage of actually we've we've actually sold the dream and done a lot of work, but we haven't actually delivered anything of, of any value yet. Right? We're now going to bring some people in and actually do some work um, to deliver the, the benefits. Um, but that's the stage we're in now is um, mobilizing a team uh, and building up from a, what's a very small team today um, to a fairly, I guess, let's not say large, but medium-sized function mm -hmm. um, over the next year um, where we can start to really move the dial from a value perspective as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's excellent. That's excellent. And, and um, what what were some some um, I guess maybe some lessons learned or or some some tips that you have for for people that are wanting to um, create that um, create that desire for for change to bring something new, uh, trying to sell that the why across the organization, trying to get alignment. Um, any any um, tips there uh, that you, that you could share? Yeah. So, so I think there's. Um... There's probably two, and, and you've got to go back a little bit further in time. So in my last role, before I came in to do this piece, I was working on personalization within within Dan Murphy's originally and then in Endeavor. And, and the key thing really was just to, was to start. Right? So, which which sounds like almost, um, I guess, like it sounds almost naive, but actually we just started. We just started doing personalization. We asked for some money. We started delivering benefits. We started showing the progress we'd made and the value was delivered and told the story and the narrative. So you know, we're going to deliver this. This is what we're delivering. We've delivered it. Ta-da. Uh, and, and then you can build the momentum really kind of quite organically. So when we started doing personalization, there were about like four of us in Dan Murphy's. The business case had something like two million worth of benefits that we were going to deliver. Wow. Um, there's now a team of well, it's, it's like six, seven, maybe even eight squads doing personalization. And it's a lot bigger number than two million. So it's like an eight-digit number. Um, yeah. So, you know, it, that that's starting and then just carrying on when it gets tough, I think, is the other thing, too, is that there will always be change. You know, there'll always be resistance to change along the way, yeah. whether that's people being deliberately you know, resisting change or just passively resisting change because they don't know what that change means for them. Mm. You've got to keep going. So I think that's, that's the other thing. Um, but, you know, it, it's a, it, keep talking about what you're delivering to, to talk about the value um i've worked you know, i've come probably 180 degrees on this through my career maybe even 360 back to it but i used to kind of think that analytics should stand alone right in terms of the value it delivers right it's like analytics delivers value and we help the business improve or you know the business delivers its value and then we deliver the icing on the cake but i think kind of where i've come to now is more you know, the two together deliver the value, right? And actually, you shouldn't be able to see between the seams. You should have 
analytics supporting what marketing are achieving and what merchandising are achieving and what operations are achieving and you can't they can't exist in isolation so measure the value that's actually created for the business i think is the other key one um everybody wants to build super sexy ai and machine learning right but at the end of the day it's got to move the dial from a commercial perspective um and i think that's the that's the key piece for me and talking the language that people in their business are going to understand um yeah that's probably the, the two key things Awesome, awesome, mate. Awesome advice uh, in terms of yeah, meeting people where they are, uh, talking about the value they, that they're getting, uh, make sure that that communication is ongoing. So it's not a, just a once-off, then I'm going to do this and then come back. Um, it's done and then doesn't get spoken about any uh, anymore. Like it's it's an ongoing conversation. I, I do think that there's a, there is a role for um, the business to come to analytics as well. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's the... To me, that's the next kind of evolution in, in some respects um, is that and I, I've got a, um, a colleague, a, 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 let's call them an acquaintance of mine who he works for an external uh, consultancy company, but we've known each other for quite a while. And he talks about the, the data consumption gap and he kind of this analogy is the bridge and you've got the business on one side of the bridge and you've got analytics on the other side of the bridge. And the reality is what they should do is both walk to the middle of the bridge to kind of you know agree on a on a on a way forward, but what tends to happen is either analytics walk to one side of the bridge to engage you know the the business where they are, or they stand on each side of the bridge and kind of face off to each other and nobody actually crosses, which is probably you know, in some respects it was more likely to happen in some of the organisations I've worked in previously. I think what's going to need to happen over time is that both parts of the business are going to have to come together. So trying to not talk about analytics versus the business or analytics and the business, but you're all one business. So how do you, you know, uplift the power skills, commercial skills, communication, whatever you want to call it, of analytics teams, but also how do you uplift the data literacy of organizations more broadly um, so that everybody is fluent in data or can talk data mm. and can read data and can discuss data and make decisions based on data? Because we've got two choices, I think. Either you wait for like my kids to come through from their, you know, from their schooling background where they're all doing data every day, or you've got to really invest in your um, in your teams to help them because you lose out to the competition if you don't do that. Um, so I think that's going to be the next evolution. Something we're definitely thinking about: how do we how do we flex that data literacy muscle in the organisation, um, and how do we build that capability? Yeah, that's great. And and how do you how do you measure data literacy, and how do you how do you know when you've activated somebody? Um, a business person with their data literacy? Yeah, I think that's a, a very good question to which I don't have a very short or eloquent answer, I'm afraid. And, and I know Carrie Jones was on one of your um, yeah. shows recently and she was talking about data literacy as well. And I think we, we've we still got to work that out. So we, we've done some um, benchmarking, I guess, kind of self-assessed. Um, but sometimes I guess people don't know what they don't know. Um, and that's one of the challenges, right? So I think, so one of the things we're doing is we're creating a role that's going to focus 100% on data literacy, right? So bring somebody into the organization who will work with our L&D team to kind of go, okay, what does the organization need from a data literacy perspective? How do we deliver that? How do we measure it? How do we show we're making progress? Um, which is just a step forward to acknowledge that we've got a gap. Um, but I think we're going to, we're, we, we don't have those metrics in place today. We're going to have to develop them, and that's at all levels of the organisation. Yeah, so I, I think you know, from senior execs through to team members in stores, we're going to have to have that capability everywhere. But I think you probably start with let's benchmark and understand you know, what the level is today, what the what we think the literacy is today. Put a series of targeted programs in place that kind of appeal to those different personas across the organisation, and then measure periodically over time uh, and see where it's shifted. Um, I guess the other thing that also shifts alongside that is actually expectation shifts too. So you're almost yeah. trying to hit a moving target of expectation yeah. versus reality too. But I don't think it could be ever be a bad investment to try and make people, you know, to try to get more people more comfortable with data and understanding data. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, and and mate, I don't have a good answer for for that question either. Uh, like the um, at an individual level, the the one of one of the things that I, that I look for is how involved they get. Um, in the analytics or when they're, when they're receiving analytical output that um, some people kind of like the least activated ones, um, they look at it as, is it done? And who can tell me it's correct? Yeah. Um, and then other people get sort of more 
more in the mud, <laughs> more wrestling in the mud, get get deeper into it, um, and and asking more questions. And if if at least some of the things that I like to see is if they're triangulating what they're seeing from this analysis with previous analysis, and then they're asking about the differences. That's kind of like a next a next level up. And if people want to, you know, understand different cohorts and understand that if you have you know, about eight out of 10 people that behave in a certain part in a cohort, then you're getting an 80% likelihood. Yeah. Then like that's, that's um, kind of like next, next level. And then, um, and then if they're, if they're, people are comfortable to draw conclusions themselves uh, in terms of the decisions that they're happy to move forward with to say, um, you know, I can understand that we see, we see some benefit here, but it means that it works. So yeah. let's scale it and, and kind of like that that confidence afterwards. So I think that triangulation point is actually really well made and actually is probably underappreciated in, in some respects. So one of the things we used to do when I worked at financial services in the UK was was actually we we had an analytics teams and research teams together. And and that meant that you you got to triangulate across in some respects the what people do from the analytics with the why they do it from the research and bringing those two things together and trying to triangulate. And you never got exact answers because you're taking talk, taking completely different lenses on things. But the ability to triangulate, to see things that were directionally correct, even if they weren't specifically correct. And actually, that takes more of a leap of faith than you know, that normally comes that's comes with a quite a high level of, I guess, literacy is to go, well, they're not the same, but I think they're broadly okay, so let's play on. Um, I, I think that is something that, and it may be because big data has become so kind of all-consuming, right? Everyone wants to do big data and AI and machine learning. That some of those softer things that soft is the wrong word, but some of those more uh, focused things like research and asking customers questions and actually getting some why people figure the way they do has kind of gone a little bit off the boil. Uh, and you know, I used to run a research and analytics team together, and it was the two in tandem that made things really, really work. You got the best of both worlds. Um, so yeah, I, I think those kind of things are, do, are people asking curious questions of the data? Are they coming with a preconceived idea, or are they actually letting data challenge their views? There's a load of tangible, but I guess subjective things you can measure. But it's also then how do you make sure you get those fact-based things as well, and, and get the best of both of those? And I yeah. think you can probably—it's going to sound really. Um, naive and cute and cuddly, but I think you can probably feel it and sense it in the business, yes. right? Yes. So, right. And this, I, I'm a data guy, right? So that sounds really weird, but um, <laughs> the ability to actually feel and touch and see this in the business, I think you, can, you know, it, it's is tangible in its own right in some respects. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, I love that. Yeah, um, one of the things that we had to change in in the culture um, in the aim of our data driven culture, we started with saying that we want to be data driven and we want to get there and um and this is this is uh, illustrated by your your point around the leap of faith that if people understand and then they're, they're that it's directionally right then they're happy to back it and take that leap of faith so we've moved from data driven as our end goal or aim to data informed and uh for me it was kind of like at the beginning kind of like difficult to accept to say like okay so does that mean that we're like lowering the bar like what are, what are we doing yes. here? but but it's it's um, it's you're able to activate earlier uh, because exactly what you said before. So we use data led, and the reason I'm smiling a little bit to myself is we had a call with um, uh, a Harvard professor called Linda Hill a couple of weeks ago, and she talked about data informed, and we had a five minute debate over whether data informed or data led was the right verbiage. But I think the point was more that data driven is. A bit, number one, it's a bit threatening to some people, right? Because it's kind of, you're trying to drive stuff from a data perspective, but actually I don't really want to be driven, thank you. Um, I'd rather find my own way, but, but I, I do think that it's quite nuanced, isn't it? And this is the problem, I'm not a words person, I'm a numbers person. And data-led, data-informed, I think, is, is kind of where we're trying to get to, which is you get that blend then, even when you're using some advanced AI and machine learning, you're getting the blend of humans make good, empathetic human decisions. Computers make very factual correct decisions but the two together is what really is what really matters and if you can't get people to trust the outputs from algorithms and models and actually make decisions and drive strategy off them then you've you've you're not going to win and i think it's getting the blend of human empathy and computer decision making which is what we're trying to aspire to with the end game really of of you know using analytics to free people's time up or automation to free people's time up to focus on you know driving 
leading results, having conversations with suppliers and customers. That that's what we're aiming for, not not to automate everybody out of their roles. That's you know, that I don't think that's the the vision that we aspire. Well, it's not the vision we aspire to. Yeah. It's to automate things that people can get out of spreadsheets and get into conversations and relationships. Really. Yeah, that's oh man, that is very well put. Like that's that's really inspirational. Like out of spreadsheets and into conversations. That's that's where the magic happens. Um, yeah, that's awesome. I wanted to ask you about your. Um, prioritization and distillation of the use cases um, that you were saying that, you know, starting with over 200, getting it to, to about 40 was a process of, you know, deduplication and starting to, I guess, create some grouping, some themes. Yeah. Um, how, how did you go from, from that point on um, and, and getting to, yeah, to the, to the top list? Yeah, so so it's going to sound the first bit in particular is going to sound slightly old school, right? Which is literally I wrote out two hundred seventy five sticky notes and I stuck them on my wall and moved them around until they made some sense and clarity, right? Um, now you could probably use Miro to do that, frankly, but I'm quite I did it tangibly in like like in my living room, pretty much. Yeah, love it. Um, so that gets you down to the buckets of value, and yes, you lose some you lose some granularity along the way, but you you end up in a much easier space to prioritize. There's no way you can prioritize 275 things with the, with the size of team that we've got. Um, so once we had that 40, we then kind of took a first pass at them and kind of said, well, what are the filters of things that we want to just put to one side? So are they really transformative? Number one, have we got the data? Is the business ready? Um, we had to, we put an ethical lens on it as well as in, is it ethical to use the data in this way? Thankfully, the vast majority of them, actually all of them, I think were. Um, so you, you've got some kind of filters that then drop things out. And some of them move into the BAU queue of things that will happen ad, you know, in an ad, ad hoc way at some point. And that left us, left us with 20. And then we went through and actually sized them on the different dimensions. So we sized them from a benefits perspective. Uh, we also looked at how many decisions in the business um, would be impacted. So, you know, if something's really big scale, but it only impacts four or five decisions, then it doesn't really matter. You can make those yourselves. You don't need a computer to do it. Uh, how much would it cost us? How complicated is it to develop? And then the last one was how well is it aligned to our strategic goals? Um, so it does it actually drive transformation in a part of the business that is wanting to drive transformation, I guess, partly, or it is up for driving transformation at this point in time. Uh, so how does that align to the overall strategy and plan? And that gave us then... I'd say a top eight, maybe maybe ten that were, you know, we got them in a rank rank order list, and then it became a capacity conversation or a capacity and appetite conversation about, okay, well, what do we want to invest next year in this um, in this world? And even from a bandwidth perspective, how fast can we actually go? Because you know, you've got myself looking after data driven transformation. You've got a guy called Rob Allen who's our head of analytics, actually trying to build the analytical capability in the org a lady called Tamara Seifman trying to do the same from a data perspective, you start to go, well, actually, have we got the bandwidth amongst us to, number one, visualize all this stuff? And then number two, to go out and recruit the people in to do this, or do we have to chunk it up? Um, so we made the call to start with three use cases this year. Um, they've kicked off and we're mobilizing. So we're on a recruitment kind of drive at the moment to bring in people to support those. There's another use case that will start as soon as we get into FY23. Um, so we're, we're spreading them out a bit. And then the conversation becomes, well, how quickly in FY23 can we get enough runs on the board mm. to give ourselves confidence that we can move on to the next set of use cases? Um, and it's put that into, some, into perspective. Six months ago, there was me and one other person right, doing this. Um, so Curtis and my team had a squad, but they were, they were fully um, embedded on pieces of work that we already had up and running. So this, this has been two of us trying to build this out. Um, with support from across the business, right? So it hasn't been a two-man job, but um, that puts into perspective where we are today and where we're trying to get to. It's a fairly significant, you know, uplift in people, capability, process, technology, etc. That's great. That's great. And how? Um, I want to ask you if you can tell me more about how you found the decisions that would be affected through uh, through the analytics, um, and and essentially, yeah, how how you're 
keeping track of the, the potential of, of uh, uh, an analysis or a piece of work that the potential that it could have across the organization and, and ways to reuse, I guess, the, the work? How, how yeah. did you work at that dimension? Yeah, and that's really interesting. The reason that's really interesting is because lots, oh, that's probably too harsh, some people don't really care about the reusability, right? So mm-hmm. you know, the, the danger is that you think about a specific use case because that's what the business is driving towards. And but we know that things like you know, demand forecasting, even like you know, cross product elasticities, cannibalization, halo impact, all those kind of things have got multiple use cases across the business. So that's one of the things that me and our data science lead kind of worry about, I guess, or, or think about at least is how do we reuse? Um, so that is one of the big considerations. How do we build these things in a way that makes them reusable? And I think personalization was a good example of that when we built that initially is that you know, we could have built it for one specific use case. Um, and we, we we started with one use case, but we always had in mind the fact that we'd want to go multi-channel, multi-brand, um, real-time rather than batch, et cetera. And that's the same with the work we're doing now with our merge team is you know, the first cab off the rank is how do we optimize promotions? But over time, we want to think about price and range and um, space, uh, all the other things that come. So how do we make sure we build things in a repeatable way so they're reusable? Um, and again, one of the, the Harvard conversations that we had with it was with a guy called Professor Lacani, who talks about the a- an AI factory. Yeah. Um, so you build things once and deploy multiple times. And, and that's the, you know, if you're Google or Facebook or Ant Financial or whoever, and you're doing AI day in, day out, you're building a factory of models that are repeatable and reusable and scalable, not something that solves a specific use case. And again, that's what we aspire to. And that's what the intent, but, you know, when we're not we're not Google <laughs> yet. Um, so it's how do you get that balance right between you want to deliver short-term wins because you want to show the value in in terms of what machine learning and advanced analytics does, mm-hmm. but also having one end on the on the end game, which is well, you've got to build out an ecosystem, you've got to build a team, you've got to build the foundations. If you just chase use cases, you know, the use casing gives you a great way of framing business cases and talking about you know how much value you can deliver there for what investment you can in some respects afford, but so you do need to deliver measurable, tangible outcomes, but you also need to have one mind on, okay, well, where are we going to be in three, four, five years time? And what might that look like? Um, and I think that's a hard, that's a hard balance. Um, and yeah, trying to get trade trading and short-term performance right and long-term is, is, is tough, but you know, that's the, that's the balance we're trying to strike with our, with our portfolio is, is getting that balance right, I guess. Yeah, great, great. And, and when building the, the products and the use cases or the data products and, and use cases, um, what what type of business areas do you focus in or maybe business uh, impact? Did you focus on uh, growing revenue, cost, risk? Uh, what were some of the things that were more more interesting? Yes, yeah, so um, I think when we started personalization, that was pretty much around increasing revenue. So how do you get customers to engage more with their favorite products so that they... Um, they they spend basically spend more money with our brands rather than with other brands, right? So they shop more frequently with Dan Murphy's rather than with uh, with the competitor, or they increase the number of items in their baskets. Um, th- so that was a revenue generation uh, project. The, the things we're now working on are, are much more focused on uh, efficiency improvements. So how do we reduce how do we reduce costs from uh, you know predicting and avoiding waste. And, but also then how do we increase margins from understanding you know, the, the right time to promote, promote the right products um, so that you, you, know, you, maximize your, um, you maximize your uplift in, in revenue whilst minimizing your cost you spend on promotions. Um, and those things are, because they're directly margin focused, mm. they actually have a pretty big magnifying effect in terms of how much value you can deliver. Um, on the flip side of that, though, they also mean significant changes in terms of process within um, the business, um, which, you know, and, and people impact, right? as in it will change how people do their roles. Um, so one of the things um, we are doing within this kind of reset, I guess, in terms of how we do these roles is, is bringing in product managers who are aligned to those different use cases and aligned to those different initiatives so that rather than and it comes back to that thing of how do you bridge that divide? Do you bring in a product manager and their role in some respects is to, for a particular use case, develop the vision, the vision and the roadmap mm. and then bring together the technical, analytical and business resources into one place. So we, we use this, 
we use a version of the Spotify model in terms of tribes, squads, etc. Um, this is our first second attempt to use it in a data space. So we did it with personalization, worked really well, but bringing in truly end-to-end squads. So everybody from BAs, delivery leads, product managers, through to merchandise managers and marketing people into squads ah, and actually have proper cross-functional teams to bring SMEs into the squad environment so they're kind of co-created and co-developing. Um, and, it, you know, it, it's not easy. It takes time to get technical and non-technical people working together in one place. But I think it's more efficient over the long term than the businesses here and analytics here and you know, you get you get an SME's time maybe for two hours a week, yeah. and that's all you get. That's all you get. You can get because they've got a day job, um, and I think that's the secret sauce in our world at least. So hope you know, and, and hopefully it will work in this space. We, we will try, and if it doesn't, we'll try something else. Exactly. Uh, and that's the other thing. I think we're pretty good. I think we're good at trying things and seeing if they work, and if not, then we can try something else. Um, awesome. Awesome. So the 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 lead there is the um, the product manager for each use case. Yes. And what's what's the what's the the um, the mix of skills or the background of of those people? Yeah, I, I think this is a tough one. So mainly because there aren't many organisations that have what we've called data product managers now. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have businesses that have got you know data translators or analytics analytics translators. You have businesses that are product managers. Um, trying to find the right blend has been, you know, and to be fair, we've done it pretty quickly. We've managed to find people um, quite quickly, but it's not, it's, it's a fairly new, I think, role that we're creating or, yeah. or we're creating in our business at least. Um, so it's a blend, I think, of um, product management experience. So, you know, agile, um, lean, road mapping, being able to vi- envision what a product could be like and then selling that dream in the organization. Um, they need to have, you know, an awareness of, data and be able to talk data with data scientists and analysts, which is probably the bit that's slightly different is you need, you need people, you know, product managers in a digital space, even that's fairly new and hard to find. Yeah. And then move it into a data context of, oh, actually, you need to be able to do all of that. And I also want you to be able to talk data to analysts and data scientists. Um, and I also want you to have some business experience too. Yeah, So it, it's taking all three of those boxes. So in most cases, we've been able to take about two, two and a half. Um, but getting the blend right then across my team has been what has been more my goal is you know, as long as we've got that blend of product skills, data skills, and business skills across the team, then we can kind of cover those gaps and build up capability. Um, now, I'm obviously much stronger on the analytics front than I am on the uh, product stuff, although some of my analytics team would probably disagree with me on that. But but that's my that's my forte. And I've had to learn the business piece and I'm kind of learning product off some of my team because um, it's not the way my brain naturally works. Yeah. But as long as we can cover those bases across us, I think we've got a good place to start. Um, and we've become we're not we're not a product org, but we've got more product roles and product capability within our business these days. Um, you know, our digital team works with product managers and um, we've got various levels of capability and and, and grades from a uh, product perspective in Endeavor X as well. Um, so it's definitely something we know works in terms of creating those roles that kind of bridge technology, um, business, and you know, and delivery. Yeah, awesome, awesome, awesome. Yeah, I reckon that 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 role is um is critical. Is hard to find. It's very necessary in the industry. Um, that's awesome. Yeah, you're definitely uh, creating um, you know powerhouses there. I think the other thing, though, is you can kind of underestimate though what, or you can overestimate the product manager impact, and you can underestimate the impact of the rest of the team. Um, <laughs> and yeah, you know, product managers are important, but so are data scientists and analysts and BAs and delivery leads and everything else in the system that makes it work, and and the business stakeholders as well, right? So trying to find in business resources who, who, who can come into that world and can work within that environment as well, or, or even who wants to work in that environment so they can take the change back into the business. Yeah. That's, that's absolutely critical as well. So yes, we, we can talk about product. Everybody knows product managers are brilliant, right? But, but they're not, they're not always the, it's not the hundred percent magic ingredient. You need all of the bits of the cake to make it work. Um, awesome. Cause that and, was going to be, Oh, sorry. No, you go. Uh, and, and uh, I think, one of the things, as I said before, I've been doing this quite a while, is that if you've wanted to run successful analytics and data teams in the past, you've always had to get that blend right. And you've always had to get people working cross-functionally. And you've always had to go where the business is because you're an analytics team. Um, so I think Agile is great. I've learned a lot about Agile and, and, and how it can build high performance over the last couple of years. But 
but I've also kind of learned that some of the stuff I used to do is quite agile anyway. Yeah. Um, and we've just badged it with a different name. We've given it a naming convention. We've put some kind of um, more science is the wrong word, but we've put some paraphernalia around it or collateral around it and we've packaged it up to be something. But but actually, if you've wanted to build high performance analytics teams, you've always needed to communicate, collaborate, be commercial uh, and make priority calls right? because that's <laughs> you've got constrained resources and lots to do all the time. So. I think that's probably something that goes underappreciated is a lot of analytics teams have always been working in this way, um, just not necessarily with the language and the spotlight around it. Yeah, yeah. And and I, um, not to go on too long of a rant here, but sometimes, <laughs> I, <laughs> but sometimes I feel like the, the, the agile structures are almost like too slow for analytics. The analytics is, is iterating a lot more, a lot faster than, than say a two week sprint where you have defined um, yeah. defined uh, tickets and, and end goals. Um, I want to be moving faster than that. So and that's a that, square. that is a tension that we're going to have to deal, deal with. And that's one of the things we're talking particularly to BAs and delivery leads about when we interview them is how do we make sure we're not we're not slaves to Agile, but we use the parts of Agile that help us um, go more quickly. Because I do think there is merit, though, in um, the connections that Agile gives you, yes. but also you know, the daily um, the daily contact between the team. So yeah. one of the things I used to find, even when I was a long time ago, I used to code in SQL. Um, yeah. And you could spend hours coding in SQL on your own and not get anywhere right? on occasions because you were stuck with like one piece of, I don't know, one piece of code that was delivering you multiple rows or duplicates or whatever else, right? And then you'd stick your head up and ask somebody else the question and just that ability to talk about it, you'd suddenly go, oh, I get it now, right? I, you've given me no input, but just by articulating what my problem is, you've helped me solve it. So I do think that sometimes, analyst, you know, and I've been there, you can, be, you can be a barrier to yourself. And if you just look up occasionally and talk to somebody, that can, so I think that side of Agile definitely helps people. Um, and I also think the ability to showcase what you're doing along yes. the journey, rather than my default answer used to be, oh, I'll take two weeks, come back in two weeks, and I've gone, oh, it's another two. Um, so I think having that discipline where you're showing people things along the way, I think will help as well. But I, I agree with you, you can iterate so quickly that it, you know, it, it becomes out of date by the time you have your next sprint review or retro. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know what the balance is, if I'm honest, but yeah. I think at least it helps connect the business with analytical um, rigor, which I think has been one of the key challenges, right? You look at AI projects across the globe, not ours specifically, but they fail because of the, the you know, you build really good models, but you can't, you can't mobilize them or you can't embed them in the business and therefore they don't deliver any value. And that's the biggest problem to solve in my, in my, from my perspective, not necessarily here. I'm not saying we're bad at that, but if you look at it in the wider ecosystem, it's definitely where the problems um, occur. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Yeah. And, and, and that was going to be kind of like my next, um, uh, my next area of, of questions that I wanted to ask you. Um, how does the, how does the, the data products um, and the use cases get operationalized into, into the business? Um, how, how does that happen in your case? Well, I think so. I can take personalization as our as our kind of big example, yeah. I guess, because that's live. Whereas the other mm -hmm. ones are still kind of a, pipe, a dream at this point. Yeah. But uh, the, the, so the way the way we built it in terms of we had marketing teams embedded in the in the business, right? Meant right from the start. Oh, sorry, embedded in the squads, which yeah. meant right from the start of designing something, we were designing it with the intended use in mind. So, you know, we had to create processes, uh, flows. We used Airtable to productionize the, a lot of the kind of actions that we were going to use in, 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 in the models. But you weren't building the model and then thinking about how you're going to mobilize at the end. Yeah. You were building with that in mind because you had the marketing team in there going, well, actually, this, we need to be able to do this. So how do we build that into the process? So we need to be able to do this. We need to be able to engage with these people before we go. Therefore, this is the length of time we actually need. So. Otherwise, you get into a world, a world where you, you build something and you, you kind of hand it over the uh, at the end and either it becomes Frankenstein because you're just trying to jam it into a process that it doesn't really fit into. Yes. Or what actually happens is you go back to the old way of doing it because you can't see the merit in it. So I think that being involved from the start, making it 
You know, the other thing we did, I think, with personalization was we made it the only way you could send emails in the end, right? So you, if you want to get something out the door that talks to your customers and recommends products, then it's this. So awesome. and that's how that's what we're aspiring to do with the new use cases that we're building as well is make it a integral part of the process, but also make it something that's co-created and co-designed so that yeah. it's people want to use it, not just because they can see the value, but because they can see it improves or helps how they do their role. Um, and you know, again, it's going to be a almost a suck it and see approach. We'll we'll see when we get there, but that's the mindset we're trying to take into it at least. Great, great. And um, and who in the in the new squads who would be responsible for for the change management, for the rollout, operationalizing? Um, how do you see that working? Yeah, so I think that, that's a combination of. Um, product manager in terms of, you know, because they're the ones doing, I guess, the communication along the way and, and selling the dream. Um, the other side of it is because we've got resources, we've got resources embedded in our squads from the business yeah. and we've got people leading those people as well. So part of their job is then to go and build that kind of change, uh, kind of momentum in the business. But we're also not doing this in isolation, I think, as well as the other thing. So as well as doing data transformation, we're also doing transformation of those different functions. So actually they uh -huh. slot into initiatives that are already happening in the wider business. So wow. you know, it's not like we're trying to go, right, we're going to outside in try and transform X part of the business. The, that part of the business is saying, right, we want to transform, we want to change how we operate. And this is the impact of doing that. And we're docking into that to deliver the value. Um, and I'm sure it won't be quite that, you know, neat and seamless once we actually start to execute because there'll be phasing challenges and alignment and all that kind of stuff along the way. But I guess, I guess that's part of my job really is to make sure that we stay aligned and progressing in the same direction. But I think we've got the same destination and outcome in mind. So I'm looking at horizontally looking at, okay, well, what's the destination and outcome for data across the org? You've got the functional owners going, okay, well, how do I transform my part of the business? Yeah. And there are multiple initiatives, vertical and there are multiple horizontal. Yeah, that's the right way around <laughs> and we just got to make sure that we keep aligned along the way um, yeah. but, but you know we're we're a complex big business uh, in some respects we're also small enough to have the conversations with the people that matter to stay aligned um, wow. and i think that's the good that's the really good thing about working for a working for in, endeavor is that it, it's it's big enough to have pretty deep pockets that you know we, we we've got the investment and support to deliver on these things, but it's small enough that you can navigate your way around the whole organization. And there aren't like 42 layers from, from top to bottom when everybody yeah. wants input into every decision. Decision, So staying aligned should hopefully be easier. But I think it definitely helps that too, if, if the part of the business that you're supporting and you're in lockstep around who's trying to do or what you're trying to achieve, then the potential is, you're much, is you get to a much better outcome. Yeah. That's awesome, man. I'm so impressed because like to um, mobilizing uh, that the whole organization getting transformation in all, all different parts um, of a company like that, that stuff doesn't just happen. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's our hobbies that you, you know, like it's, it's such a long journey to, to get people to that point, like get them, you know, realizing that there's a need for change, evaluating what the change could look like, what the benefits are, getting the alignment, um, getting the investment, getting the organizational behind the organization behind it, um, starting to plan, starting to get the resources, start to to um, start the implementation is kind of like way down in the journey after um, having done uh, a heap of hard work. So yeah, um, well, as I said though, I said earlier on, right. We haven't actually delivered anything yet, so so the, the, I guess in some respects, and it's a really weird thing, you know. You you celebrate the fact that you've 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 got the priorities, you know, worked through. You celebrate the fact that you've got a business case signed off, or you've got investment signed off. Yeah, but actually, that's the start of the journey, right? It's the same if you've got a startup, I guess. When you get in your your funding rounds, you celebrate a funding round, okay? But but actually. That's the start. That's where the work really starts. And is to go, well, we had a plan of how we, what we're going to do with that money. Now, how do we actually execute that plan? Uh, and that's, I guess, our next step on our journey is how do we get the people into the business um, to help us execute that plan? And that, you know, that's, that's product people, but it's also analytics and data, et cetera. And, and you'll know as, as well as anybody that um, analytics people and data scientists are not easy to find in this 
well not anywhere right but but in australia at the moment they're really hard to find now we're having some good success i think we've got a decent name for ourselves in the market but we're trying to go again now and accelerate again so we've scaled from a analytical team of about 10 three years ago we've now got 90 um, and we're looking to scale again um so we're on a definite upward wow. growth trajectory but it, it's it's not easy finding um people um, right but sorry yeah i'm i'm i might start crying here like it's <laughs> it, it's tough it's tough <laughs> yeah but yeah so um, we are looking at how we tackle it in in different ways i guess so probably yeah. nothing and uh, we probably haven't got any magic wand that nobody else has got but you know looking at how you bring in uh talent straight from universities and bring in graduates or even partner with the universities looking at okay well what's the capability within even within our store team so i don't know the exact number but say we've got twenty thousand people in our store environment ish there will be people in our store environments who've got um, technical and mathematics and computer, computer science backgrounds. How do we make, how do we, how do we bring those people into other parts of the organization? And how do we make sure our partnerships are strong? So we're partnering with some really good tech companies. You know, we already partner with Google and Databricks and others in that space from a platform's perspective. How do we get the most out of those, especially their overseas clients and what they've done? So we are looking at multiple different strategies. Um, but yeah, you know, I guess other people are looking at those strategies as well. So it's going to be, uh, that's going to be the most interesting. You know, it's one of our challenges, I guess, is is how do we manage that? Um, yeah, and and how do we keep how do we keep developing in that space, and how do we keep getting out there and talking about Endeavor and what we're trying to do um, to to bring people into the business? That's ace. That is ace. And um, from a from a data science and analytics perspective, what what do the next couple of years look like at, at Endeavor? Well, I think it's yeah, I think it's massive, exciting. Um, and one of the things that I, I've talked about, you know, we've got this vision, which is around infinite possibilities. And, and the reason it's infinite is we've got an almost an infinite amount of data. Mm. You know, 275 use cases isn't quite infinite, but it's, it's quite big. Yeah. Um, and we've always, it's also one of those infinite games. Right? I don't think there's ever going to be a point from now forward where companies are going to stop using data. Yet. So, mm. so I think the demand is only going to grow. The, the complexity of what you can do with data and organizations is going to grow. And therefore, you know, the future of business from a data perspective is is really you know really exciting and, and really powerful i don't think i've ever had as much fun in analytics as i'm having now um because yeah. when i started out and kind of got into this by accident i didn't ever think that, that this would be the way the analytics went over over time so wow i think we've got a really we've got a really good roadmap ahead of us we if we if we get it right we can deliver some serious value to the organization and i think you know in terms of practical applications of data science we've got some cracking use cases to, to chase after and that's just that's still really only scratching the surface where you know the the 275 use cases are all up for grabs i guess as we move forward um, and that's just based on what we can imagine today you would expect that as we mature you know we will discover more use cases or potential use cases things will emerge from the business as well in terms of are these are problems that have we thought about how we can solve this with analytics um so we just need to I guess get the momentum going and start this journey, and then look at how we accelerate. But yeah, I, th I think not just in our org, but right. But there are there are there are really exciting opportunities across retail, across any space. I would say in terms of analytics over the next couple of years, it's a, it's a really exciting, really exciting time to be an analyst, I guess, or to be running analytics teams. Um, and the other thing is some of the some of the analysts and data scientists that we managed to bring into the organisation, right? They're, they're they're really smart. <laughs> so, you know, there's, I just get blown away by some of the stuff we do, right? And some of the, the numbers we start to throw out in terms of, the, you know, 100 trillion calculations a day being done by machine learning <laughs> algorithms. And you go, that's just, you know, how many noughts is that? It, it just becomes, you know, <laughs> so, so there is that other element, this, this PA factor of how do you keep up with all of this? Because, you know, you're bringing in you know, PhDs and people who've got you know lots of experience in data science and and, and building models. But uh, I think one of the things of this squad formation that we're talking about is you can actually distribute some of that decision making into the teams, right? So you'd say, well, you're the data science expert, you tell me what the answer is on that, and I'll leave you alone. We'll give you the budget, we'll give you the tools, and we'll unblock things, and then we'll get out of the way. So yeah, it's really exciting, but it's also really scary because uh, you've got to keep on your toes, and obviously there's a lot of value to deliver, right? So that's the flip side of it is the opportunities there, but you've got to deliver the value that comes with that opportunity as well. Oh, mate, 100%. Yeah, and, and with, with um, you know, with the, with the pace of, of expansion that you guys have, 
um, the um, obviously the, the universe of opportunities is, is big, but also the, the opportunities within within the team, you know, and um, they um, they say that, you know, when you when you um, when you get a seat on a rocket ship, you don't ask which seat which seat you have. Yeah. Um, so there's definitely a lot of opportunities from that side as well. If people want to um, develop their leadership skills or become more senior, mentor others, have a bigger organizational impact. Um, heaps of opportunities for that front too. So it's super exciting. Yeah, and, and that's something that um, I probably, so if I look at what my responsibilities are, right, it's about delivering the outcomes. If I look at then our border, a broader organization so rob's team in particular rob's focused mainly on building the capability of an analytics team it's probably why i forget that one is that you know, i'm focused just almost solidly on delivery whereas rob's got to think of this broader thing of how do i actually build talent how do i build capability how do i give people career progression and stuff but just the fact i kind of touched on before how much we've grown over the last yeah. um two to three years means that those development opportunities are there um, and as I kind of alluded to, there's only going to be more and more opportunity, I guess. So it's only going to keep growing. Um, and uh, yeah, that, that's the other exciting thing, I guess, if you want to develop your career, if you want to work on want to work on some really cool things. But I'm also in a business that's, a, you know, we're a hospitality company, right? It's in our DNA to be focused on having fun and being real. And, you know, and we're a liquor company and we're a hospitality company. That, that's kind of what we want for our customers. So it's also what we want for our team. So that's the other side to why it's quite fun. You know, it's quite fun to work for work in this industry and in this business um and there's a lot less of the kind of organization politics than i've seen in some places so i guess that's the other side to it is um yeah it's a fun place to work as well i'm not really one for forced fun but it, it's quite you know it's quite um contagious i think in terms of the experience working here as well that's great that is awesome that is awesome mate from by um having you know from from wineries to retail to hotels um, the, the the universe there is is amazing. Um, best best spot for um, for people to check out uh, what's going on. Would it be like the the events? Uh, also, sorry, the careers part of the of the site. Or yeah, there's so there's a there's an Endeavor Careers um, page. Um, there's also LinkedIn. And we don't, we don't have our distinct one for for our world yet, but there's an Endeavor X, which is our digital team um, page on LinkedIn as well. Um, I'm fairly active on linkedin i like to have an opinion on things so i kind of normally post rubbish on everybody else's walls but um there's there's me there's a few others like like rob allen and and, and g liang who, who are worth following as well or, or like connecting with so yeah that's the other one uh, i'm sure you'll post a link to my name in in the in the in the coverage of this so yeah that's probably the easiest way to reach out um and you know and, and get in touch we've got some really exciting opportunities and we're working on some really cool stuff brilliant we'll include the links on the show notes and mate thank you so much for coming on the show for telling us about your your experience your learning your journey and mate, as I said, it's super, super exciting. And uh, you guys have, have done so much of the of the hard work to make something amazing. So it's definitely on the right track. Awesome. Well, thank you. My favorite topic is talking about me. So <laughs> I've got to talk about myself for an hour. So thank you for giving me the opportunity and catch up with you soon. Sounds great. Thanks, mate. That brings this episode to conclusion. Thank you so much for listening. Please find us on datafuturology.com or on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or Instagram as Data Futurology. Also go to datafuturology.com forward slash podcast to find the show notes for this and any other episodes. If you like this episode, it would mean a lot to us if you could leave us a review wherever you listen to our podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that it was helpful and valuable for you. Thanks again and see you next time.